0: Our reading this morning comes from 2 Kings, chapter 25. A time of trouble for the nation of Judah. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. They built siege works all around it. And so the city was besieged till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city, there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of the war fled by night by way of the gate between the walls, by the king's garden, and the Chaldeans were around the city. They went in the direction of the Arabah, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon." In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem and the rest of the people who were left in the city, <coughs> sorry, and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land <coughs> to be vine dressers and plowmen. Then moving down to verse 27. Then in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, Evil-merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seat of the kings who were with him in Babylon. And so Jehoiakim put off his prison garments... And every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. So far this reading.
1: I don't know about you, but when you read those stories, do you start thinking, how does this all fit together? Do you get confused? Like there's this king, there's that king, there's besieging, there's eyes gouged out, there's people killed, there's... you know, I know, you have to read it a few times, don't you? You have to think, what's going on here? And there is a bit of history and I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a context for that in a minute when we get down to it. So hang in there and... Um, You'll see where we're going this morning. We're talking this morning, we're beginning a new series called Waiting. Um, and this is our Advent series leading us up to Christmas. And um, and as we reflect on how um, God's people waited for the Messiah, we're also wanting to set our hearts and pray that God aligns our hearts so that we wait in expectation um, for uh, the king to come. And for today the, the theme is waiting for a king. We're waiting for a king. We're three point I was I was just thinking this morning. We're three point five weeks out from Christmas. Anyone else got that on their calendar? Probably we're looking at Carol's now does that freak you out? Three point five weeks. Three weeks to Christmas. Do you have heaps to do? Are your calendar's really full. And there's stacks of things on like every night of the week. I'm hearing people say, oh, I'm out every night of the week. And I'm hearing myself say, that. anyone else doing that? Or are you just looking at me thinking, nuts, quiet as, got nothing on. Come and see me after, I've got some things you can do for me then. They call this the crazy season and it just seems to get more amped up every year. Has Black Friday ever been a big thing here, as big as it is? Have I missed something? Is that just sort of crept up on us the last year or two? Is that kind of like the the stepping stone sale between the last one and the and the boxing day sales? Is that because we can't go four or five weeks without a big sale it's it just it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, even in the look, you know, even in the church office, we're in we're in a kind of I call it a dual mode. The end of the year means we're finishing off things and and busy having this meeting and and finishing this off well and reviewing this, but we're still going because we've got to go right up to Christmas and we've got carols coming up, and there's still a few big and important things to do. So we're not relaxing yet, but we're also busy with how the beginning of next year looks. You can't start that when the church is supposed to start so it's kind of crazy ever it's hard to relax and enjoy the season so i can talk about advent and how we can just reflect and wait on the king and how many of you thinking i don't have time to do that i don't have headspace to do that it's really hard to relax when there's so much stuff happening well this is the first week of advent and all the busyness and all those things i've just been speaking of can almost rob Advent of its beauty and just steal away the meaning of Advent. Now, I confess, you know, I don't go through the week thinking Advent, do you? This would be yes and this would be no, you know. I don't either. And and it's because of all the stuff in my life and all the things that that the world says I need to be busy with, it kind of almost steals away that beauty or meaning of Advent. Because our focus is drawn away from rest, our focus is drawn away from expectation uh, of Christmas and Advent, by all that sort of stuff. We say things like, you know, have you ever had anyone sort of say, I'm just so busy, this Christmas season is so busy, I'm really hoping that next year I can do this better. Has anyone ever said, have you ever said that to someone? Or, next year Christmas won't be so crazy, or words to that effect, yet each year it seems to get even bigger. And it can be hard to do Christmas living in a crazy world. Yesterday in London, another couple of people killed. And things going on all the time. It's like there is no time for Christmas. That's why it's so appropriate for us to start Advent with a focus on hope. And that's why we wanted our first uh, Advent word to be hope. And the fact that looking forward to the birth of our king can actually fill us, if you'll do it, if you'll just spend and allow and ask God to, to, to open your heart for that, it can actually fill us with hope despite the circumstances that we're in. Because hope, living hope, is what can carry us. That's what can sustain us when it's really busy, when things don't look right in the world, when things don't look right in our world. It's what can focus us. It's what can save us you know reading today and i said i'd tell you a little bit about it we we've come to the end of the old testament narrative and things do not look great do they did you did you follow along with some of that sort of stuff you know there's like i said you know first of all the men of war what did they do they fought valiantly no hang on so it doesn't say that what does it say they fled so there you are with your men of war expecting them to protect you, and they fled. The city was besieged. They captured the king. They kill his sons in front of him. They put him in chains. And then we get to, I think we've got a slide there, we get to the end of verse 21. We didn't read that, and it just just ends verse 21 with these words. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. That was it, you know. We're beaten. We've we've been done. That's the end. So now God's people are in exile again, and exile is not a nice way to live. You've got two kings here. You've got Jehoiakim. If you read a little bit earlier, you'll see that Jehoiakim was the valid king. He wasn't a good king, but he was the valid king of Israel. But he was taken captive in verse in chapter 24. He was taken captive by um, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar inserted Zedekiah, who happened to be the nephew of Jehoiakim, follow me here, put him in as the puppet king. Because he was kind of, Nebuchadnezzar figured he could pull him strings and and he could be the king of God's people. And um, but he was evil. Not only was evil towards God, but then he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, well, this wasn't the idea. And that's where we read. That's where he says, well, now I'm going in and I'm going to plunder the city. And you'll see they destroyed the temple as well. And that's the backdrop. And you'll see in the end that when a new, after Nebuchadnezzar, when a new king comes, he brings back Jehoiakim. But exile is not a nice way to, me- to live, is it? It means leaving your country, mostly not because you want to, and living in a foreign land under foreign and often abusive rule. So God's people, the end of the Old Testament narrative, here we are, it's all over. This exile has been a bit of a recurring theme for God's people, hasn't it? In one way, shape or another. And it started right back with Adam and Eve, didn't it? If we look at the, if we, we follow the narrative, and I'm going to take huge jumps because we couldn't follow it all, but it starts way back with Adam and Eve. They're exiled from the garden, aren't they? They're sent out from the garden. So they're sent out. Then we have Abraham as he and his family left their homeland in, in Genesis 12 and they lived in tents in a foreign land. And although it was God's promised land, Hebrews says this. He says, Abra- about this is about Abraham, he was a stranger in the promised land. He was in exile from his home. And then we see exile again as Abraham's descendants, Jacob and sons, they go to Egypt through Joseph. Remember we talked about Joseph last week? They end up in Egypt through Joseph who who manages a famine really well. And he brings his people into Egypt. But what does Egypt become? It becomes slavery. They end up slaves. They're in exile. They're in Egypt. They're away from their homeland. Exiles in a foreign nation. God's people are then rescued by God to go back to the promised land and possess it. So he, he, he magnificently rescues them out of Egypt. But they end up through their sin as exiles in the desert for 40 years, don't they? Another form of exile. To then enter the promised land and be led by judges and prophets... Judges who remind the people time and a prophet, sorry, who remind the people time and time again that their sin will lead to exile, go figure, and who God used, and the judges who God used to instruct his people to keep them out of exile, a futile attempt it seems because they keep doing it don 't they? The people look enviously at they get into the promised land, but they begin to look enviously at the nations around them. And especially the nations, they have things called kings. And it seems like there's freedom when you've got a king. So we want a king too, they say. Which is offensive to God. But God says, okay, you can have a king, but you won't like it. You'll see what it's like when you replace the king with a king. You will experience what the absence of my presence in the sense of a ruler will do. And then we read through Kings, leading right up to here. And have you ever read through Kings where this one's a good one, this one's a bad one, this one did evil in the sight of the Lord, this one did good in the sight of the Lord? Are you thinking, this is like, America, this is like a, a seesaw. And then when the king does evil in the sight of the Lord, they end up getting plundered, the temple gets ruined again, they, half of them get taken into captivity, etc. That's what happens when you replace the king with kings. We read through Kings and see a constant up and down of a nation. And the features of that being a king following God and focusing on honouring him and leading, that leads to people to prosperity and health. Then to kings rejecting God that lead God's people to worship other gods, which results in captivity, annihilation, bondage, the ruin of the temple and all forms of exile. But there's this interesting thing, isn't there, in God's people? And maybe it's resident in me and you as well, even though at times we're in exile. Exile always created a yearning for God and a hope that he would turn his face towards them. You know, when they ended up in exile, that's when they got on their knees, where they they turned around and they began to hope in God and ask questions like, is God there? Is he for us? They'd be reminded of the promises they'd heard for generations, the promise of a Messiah the king of kings, and, and this would lead them to repent, and they'd repent again. So what is exile? If we're looking at the, the Israelites are in exile, and it happens in all different ways, or, and God's people are in exile, what is exile? And I found this, um, this definition, and I think I've got it up there. The lack of freedom and of the presence and protection of God caused by sin and leading to despair. That's what exile is. The lack of freedom and of the presence and protection of God. What causes it? Sin causes it. And where does it lead to? The prophets told them that it would lead to this. It leads to despair and despair would drive them to remember God. The sin of disbelief, the sin of rejecting God, the sin of lack of trust or disobedience and unwillingness to surrender to God as a people. That's what exile is. And so... The Israelites here, or the people of Judah here, the people of God, find themselves. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. What is it? The lack of the presence and protection of God and the lack of freedom. Now, why have I said all this? Why have I brought you up to speed and talked like this? Where we find ourselves in our reading is that God's people over a span of years have experienced different kings, different forms of captivity, different forms of control. They've experienced defeat and victory. And they now find themselves in exile. But when we look at the end, but the king is alive. The original king, Jehoiakim, he's alive. And if the king still lives... Exile still carries hope in their hearts. The king's still alive, and so there's still hope. And the amazing thing is this. Throughout these stories, and I've skipped many, we see over and over in the Bible, don't we? If you've read the Bible and you've seen this, we see things like, the people rejected God and sinned against him. All words to that effect. And then we see two amazing words as you read through. You know, the people of God rejected God or the people of God were disobedient and sinned against him. And then we see these two beautiful words, but God. We see it time and time again, but God. In Genesis chapter 8, and I think I've got some of them up there. Um, in Genesis chapter 8, the waters covered the earth, but God remembered Noah. It was going right. There was no one was going to live. Nothing living was going to live. The waters just rained for days and days and days and the waters covered the earth. And the story here is Noah gets out and, and sees that there's just water as far as he can see and he feels so alone. But then Genesis says the waters covered the earth but God remembered Noah. And then we see in Genesis 50, Joseph, huh? when Joseph... um. When his his brothers come up to him and they, they figure out they finally figure out who this is and they think, Oh that word. You know, uh oh you know <laughs> and Joseph says, Well you meant harm but God intended it for good. And then we see in one Samuel you know saul is is ready to kill David because he's threatened by david david is is more celebrated by the people, and so he hunts David down like an animal and in one Samuel it says Saul searched for David, but God did not give David into his hands and then in the beginning of kings in one chap in in one kings we in one Kings five we're talking you know it talks about solomon and um there it says, but God had given them rest on every side. they are talking about Israel. And so time and time again, we see things like the people did this or they disobeyed, but God, he's never not there. And there's so many more. The hope the people of God had, even in exile, was but God. Could he? Would he? Would he do it again? Their circumstances were bad, their sin was atrocious, their freedom, not for the first time, was taken. But we see at the end there, but the king was alive, and this was hope. The only hope in exile is the life of a king and him being alive. And for this, for them, this pointed to another potential but God moment. Would there be a but God? We're in exile, the temple is ruined. Would there be another but God moment? And for their king to come and free them, well, that was worth waiting for. So we're at the end of the narrative of God's people. The king is alive, but we're in exile. But the king is alive. So there's hope, even if we're in exile. This was to go on for 400 years for for God's people, wasn't it? And we all know that. In that time, in those 400 years, they would be released from Babylon. If you read some books and some, and some information in between, you know that they would be released from Babylon, but they would still only be a puppet nation ruled by the Persian Empire. So they were allowed to exist within other empires, ruled by the Persians. The book of Esther, you'll find that's right in the middle of that. They're not their own nation. They're ruled by a Persian king, but they're recognized as Jews. They would have a temple, but it was nowhere near the glory of David's. It was just a little small building, which was the Jews' worship building. They wouldn't be free to be their own nation. There were no prophets. There was no word from God. It was silent for 400 years of waiting in hope for the King to come, the Messiah that was spoken about, the stories and the families, the Messiah, He's coming, who would liberate His people. Things were not good, but God echoed in their hearts and stories. They knew the promise. They knew the covenant of God. They knew that the line of the Davidic kings would go on, and that gave them eternal hope. So all is not lost. I started thinking about myself, and I wanted to ask, how would you do waiting and hoping for 400 years? I can't, even remi- I can't even imagine I waited for the patience of dial-up internet. Anyone remember that noise? <laughs> As we waiting you know, and then watching the page load? Am I sounding really old now? You guys are thinking, what? I saw a clip the other day where these, they got these two boys, these two teenage boys, and they st- popped them in front of one of these. Who, who remembers the phone where you had to do the numbers like that? They had no idea what to do with it. They're trying to... How would you go waiting for 400 years? But seriously, as you look at the world around you, around me, the bondage, the, the brokenness, the um, lack of God's presence around you, maybe even the lack of God's presence in your own life, There's all kinds of exile around us, isn't there? In our own lives, in the nations, in some of the nations we look at, in our own nation, it's getting tougher and tougher. Can you hope? Are you waiting for the King to liberate you? you? Are we waiting for the King to liberate our nation and our world? Do we trust the promise of God like God's people did? Do we have that same eternal hope? I'm, I'm sitting in the office asking myself the same question. How can I talk about hope, that kind of hope? Do I have that kind of hope? Do I actually believe anything will change in our world or in my world, even in, in my life? Do we still believe it? Or have you given up on hope? Have you stopped waiting? So I wanted to define hope. What do you do when you want to define hope? You Google it. Right? So I Googled it and I got the top dictionary. Hope, a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. Okay, I can go with that. Or wanting something to happen or be the case. I hope that I get that job. I hope that I get that. What do we want for Christmas? Whatever it is, I hope that I... But then I typed in and I started looking for a biblical definition of hope and I really like this. Here's a biblical definition. I've got it down there too, I think. The confident expectation of what God has promised. And here's the kicker, which has its strength in His faithfulness. So it's all God. Hope is all God. It's this confident hope in what God has promised. But I don't have to do anything because even that has its strength in his faithfulness. It's all him. Now that's hope. And so I'm sitting there thinking, do I still have hope? And that's a moot point. Because it's in God, I've got to tap into the hope that only God can build in my heart. If I look at my own life, if I look at the world around me, it's hard for me to think of the king coming. But the confidence we have living on this side of the cross is that God has already done it. God has already completed it. Hope is already done. It's written in heaven. It's done and it's all has its strength in his faithfulness. It's going to happen because he's God. I found this quote. This guy called JT Engle- English said this about Advent. It's a little bit small, but I'll read it out for you. The good news of Advent is that our King came and our King is coming. see hear that? Our King came and our King is coming. Your exile is not going to last forever. Whatever you're walking through in this season, be it depression and guilt, shame, despair, bad diagnosis, diseases and death, whatever you're seeing, hearing and experiencing that is bad in the world you live in, those are just symptoms of exile. We should certainly pray for all of those things to be remedied. But our greater prayer should be, come Lord Jesus and end our exile. Because that's hope. The King is coming. So what does it mean for us in light of the cross to live knowing that our King came and our King is coming? Does it lead us to pray that prayer? Do you pray, come Lord Jesus and end our exile? Do you recognize the exile that we live in or that you live in and long for the king? At the end of kings, the people knew that their king, their human king Jehoiakim, was alive. It wasn't altering their exile one iota. But it gave them hope that their king, capital K, would come once again as he'd been before. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Jesus' birth is about for us. The king came and he's he's alive and he's coming again. This is what we wait for. This is our hope. The exile we feel in our broken world. Remember, the exile that When we talk about exile, the exile is the lack of God's presence. That exile we feel in our broken world where we don't see God in this situation, where we don't see God in this nation. The sin we see in our world that causes exile will end when our King comes and makes all things new. Our King capital K. But maybe even more importantly, as, as you sit here and as, as I stand here, that personal exile that you and I feel, Lack of God's presence in an area of in our life or in a relationship that we're in. Perhaps that's brought about that lack of God's presence or that exile is brought about by our own sin or sin that's affected us. It isn't going to last forever. It's going to end. How do we know that? How do we know that it'll end and that we'll be with our King in freedom? Because just like the people of the Old Testament, when they were confronted by brokenness and despair, they remembered those two words, didn't they? But God. We have many but God promises to remember too. Have a look with me. I've got some of them for you because they are really great. Have a look at this. Romans 5. These are promises for us. Romans 5 verse 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. That's one of my favorite verses. I suck, I sin, and I'm sinning all the time. But God didn't wait for me to get right. Acts 13, verse 28 to 30. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they'd carried out all that was written of him, they took him from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Ephesians 2, 1 to 6, a bit of a longer one. And you... That's me and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So the case is looking bad against me and you right now. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And what's the next two words? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us, and He seated us and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You want one more? Ephesians two: 12 to 13. Remember. That you were at that time separated from Christ, that's exile, remember? Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the pro- covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus. Just another form of but God, isn't it? But now in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off, you who were in exile, you were living without freedom in the presence of God, have brought being brought near by the blood of Christ. We have our but God experiences too. We have our but God scriptures. Yes, we do live in a time of turmoil, sickness, death, difficulty, struggle, and sometimes a seeming lack of God's manifest presence. Yes, we do suffer the effects of exile on our own lives. And like like me, I'm sure you struggle with the sin that causes that. But God has put put in train a plan to rescue us and it's already done. The plan is already laid out. Isn't that amazing? We're waiting in hope for the fulfillment of that plan and we can lean into him and we can trust him for it. As you enter into this time of Advent, and I encourage you to try to to do that these next few weeks, and as you consider Christmas and the birth of Christ, let that hope rise above all the other things, the busyness and and the things that would draw you away from it. Let hope rise so that this season brings with it hope. And then you can celebrate the fact that the King's alive And if the king still lives, even exile is filled with hope. Come, Lord Jesus, and end our exile. Let that be your prayer.